0: The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. So we find ourselves in Mark chapter two, and um, the theme for this month of October in Mark chapter two will be controversy, as we are unfolding the walk of Jesus, the servant on the mission, we see that there's more controversy. Today's title is this, A Wedding or a Funeral? (laughs) Which would you prefer to go to? (laughs) And uh, that's part of the story that we will see unfolding. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. 1970, John Wolverd, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, who is not known for his poetry, <laughs> wrote a poem. Don Wurtzen put it to music. We used to sing it. It was number 199 in an old hymn book I had. Love was when God became a man, locked in time and space without rank or place. Love was God, born of Jewish kin just a carpenter with some fishermen. Love was when Jesus walked in history. Lovingly, he brought a new life that's free. Love was God nailed to bleed and die, to reach and love one such as I. Love was when God became a man down where I could see, love that reached to me. Love was God dying for my sin, and so trapped was I, whole world caved in. Love was when Jesus rose to walk with me. Lovingly, he brought a new life that's free. Love was God. Only he would try to reach and love one such as I. We have been walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, and many of you have told me you've enjoyed this journey. And I pray that you have, because we got a lot of road left. But it's, it's a wonderful blessing to see the popularity of Jesus at the initial stages of his ministry. And, and his popularity and his power were not diminished by opposition. Even though it happened, he still was bearing fruit. He still was revealing to us who God is and how much God loves us. Because this is a mission of love and a mission to rescue us. So, I read the text for today from Mark chapter 2, and I'm reading at verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Lord, I pray that you would indeed speak to us from this powerful passage of Scripture, particularly these parables. And Lord, may we apply the truth we learn today immediately in our lives and continually. In Jesus' name, amen. So. In Mark 2, 18 to 22, a new controversy erupts about fasting, which will expand our understanding of Jesus' mission. That really is the end of this. We begin with a critical question, a celebratory answer, and then a comprehensive illustration. So let's look for a moment at the question. Mark's flow in his gospel and this appears in Matthew and Luke also in different contexts. Perhaps he said some of these things in different contexts. But the flow comes right out of that incredible celebration that we're having at Levi's house, remember? And the Pharisees come by and they're like criticizing, why is Jesus sit with sinners and all that kind of thing. And, and, and yet there's a question that arises about fasting. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting some people came and asked Jesus. Now, thankfully, they're not as cowardly as the last story we had. They actually asked Jesus the question, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Who raised the question? Well, according to Matthew, it is the disciples of John, which is kind of interesting. Mark is a little broader. He just says some people, I think there's more than just the, the uh, disciples of John. I think the crowds are asking questions. They're looking in on this new thing, and, and they're seeing that Jesus' disciples are not fasting as others were doing. He's much broader. And outsiders are looking in, just like they look in today. And they wonder, why do you do this? Or, or why are you doing that? And that kind of is perhaps the context. Now what's the issue? The issue is fasting. Fasting. Doing without food or drink and jesus of course fasted for 40 days in the wilderness when he was tested We already read that in the gospel of mark fasting is mentioned 20 times in the new testament This is the only place in the gospel of mark where it is mentioned old testament fasting is mentioned 14 times in all kinds of various settings There's one required fast of the jewish people on the day of atonement and they were required to fast on that day. The rabbis said fasting, quote, is an affliction of the soul. <laughs> and they loved the, to portray the sacrifice. As one commentator says it so well, uh, they, um, they, they really wanted it to be a self-displaying ritual. So Pharisees, when they fasted, would paint their faces white, (laughs) so they looked more pale. And they'd walk around, oh, you know. And of course, this is not what Jesus would intend. The, The Pharisees began during the Maccabean Revolt. It was 168 AD. They during the intertestamental period between the italian malachi and matthew you know um there's 400 silent years but during that time there's a revolt by the jews the maccabean revolt and that's why we celebrate hanukkah it comes from that story and that season of time and it was then that this group began to develop to say, we're going to live separately. We're going to live holy lives. We believe the Bible, the the Word of God, the Old Testament to be the Word of God. We would all agree with them on that. But then they, in their zeal, added all these extra rules, did all this stuff that actually was very self-defeating. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, says there are only 6,000 Pharisees in all of Israel at this time. So they're kind of a small group and yet very influential because the people really respected them as people that were holy and different. Of course, they loved that. Now, that's why Jesus said to them in the Sermon on the Mount, Don't do your righteous acts before men to be seen by then, or you're going to get your reward in full on the earth. Oh yeah, people recognize you as religious, but God isn't listening. In fact, as I was reading this week in my devotions, I was in Isaiah, and um, in Isaiah 58, Isaiah talks about fasting. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins for day after day they seek me out they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of, the, of its God they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them why have we fasted they say and you have not seen it See, they have the view that if they fast they are impressing God and he should do what they want That's not just an ancient problem. We have humbled ourselves and you have not noticed. Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. So he goes on into a list of how if you're really fasting, your life should be different you should be seeking justice, you should be honest, you should be truthful, all, all those things. And so the ritual itself of just fasting is fruitless unless it is changing us. And, and, and so in this context, we see that not only the Pharisees and their disciples were fasting, but probably John's disciples were fasting regularly also, and they're perplexed because Jesus you know, just isn't requiring his disciples to fast. Now, there's a big difference between the way the Pharisees would fast and John's disciples. Of course, they were fasting because they were contrite about their sins, and they were seeking God and and, and all of that. So their, their, their method might have been the same, but their reason was very different. In fact, it's very interesting. Most references to fasting are combined with prayer. So I turn to the Lord God. This is Daniel. And please pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. This is, this is a pattern in Daniel's life, a very godly man. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So the pattern is real, and it's important to note. We often ask for explanations about religious activity, particularly those looking from the outside, as we see in the context They're asking the questions. Now, Michael Card in his little commentary on Mark says something interesting. Is Jesus' lack of orthodoxy, as they understood it, beginning to disturb the community? And of course, the answer is yes. that's, That's what's happening. So, this comes to a celebratory answer. Jesus gives an answer about the present celebration, and then he talks about a future commitment. He says... And he answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom, literally the sons of the bride chamber, those who are involved in in this incredible celebration of a wedding feast, and uh, it includes all the guests, not just those who we would call groomsmen, while he is with them. (laughs) I'm very thankful that I'm a 20th and 21st century father and not a first century father. The feasts for weddings went seven days. Imagine the bill at the end of that celebration. Seven days they celebrated. The bride and the groom were present for all seven days. And this is quite a celebration. So Jesus is saying, while the groom's there... Why would they not be celebrating? Why would they fast? In fact, William Barclay points out that even the rabbis said, all in attendance on the bride chamber are relieved of all religious observances which would lessen their joy. And certainly, fasting would be included in that. So, Jesus is just comparing his gospel and John the Baptist said something similar is is like a feast, And when he's saying this, one commentator says so wisely, this is a veiled messianic claim. Okay, because this idea of feasting and wedding also appeared in the Old Testament. For instance, in Isaiah 61, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And again in Isaiah 62, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah. Yeah, well, I don't say that too well. And your land Beulah for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married as a young man marries a young woman so will your builder capital B marry you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride so will your God rejoice over you so it's like Jesus is pointing to the kingdom of God the celebration that is to come the celebration of a wedding and this is a way that he is revealing himself as God once again just like when he was forgiving the sins of the paralytic before he healed him Um, a great canadian theologian j oswald sanders wrote a book the incomparable christ the person and work of jesus christ listen to what he says if jesus is not god then there is no christianity and we who worship him are nothing more than idolaters conversely if he is god those who say he was merely a good man or even the best of men are blasphemers More seriously still, if he is not God, then he is a blasphemer in the fullest sense of the word. If he is not God, he is not even good. But he is God. And when he's declaring this about a wedding feast, he's declaring that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah. In Matthew 22, Matthew 25, again, he'll use this imagery of a wedding. This really comes down to an issue of his authority. You see that? Like, This is his wedding, he's calling it, he's saying we celebrate, and they don't like it. They don't like it. They'd rather go to a funeral than a wedding. Now he does add a comment about the future commitment. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day, they will fast. The groom will be taken away. That verb jumps out at me. Does it jump out at you? Because the taking away was by the cross. Now, the verb itself is not really have violence in it. In fact, some think it refers not just to the cross, but to his ascension back into heaven, which wasn't violent at all, but it was uh, a taking away. So there is a time coming when the groom won't be present, and in that time, they will fast. They will fast because they're grieving over the fact that he died, but they also will discipline their lives with the act of fasting and prayer it's 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 a good thing but jesus remains the center of the kingdom and the center of all their joy and that that's just the point so this statement of fasting this statement of the fact that jesus was taken away must have meant a lot to those who were reading this letter for the first time Because you might remember that we believe that Mark wrote this to Christians in Rome who were being persecuted. And when you're being persecuted and you remember that your Savior also was persecuted, it brings you strength. It brings you joy, even in your suffering. So many disciples have practiced the discipline of fasting. And it's a, it's a good thing. Some fast on Holy Week. Uh, they'll fast uh, through the end of the week or, or things like that. I, I, for a long time, and I, as I was reading this and studying this again, I, I honestly was very convicted because there was a long season in my life when I fasted on Friday because Friday is the day I'm getting the sermon completed. And so to fast added to the seriousness, I also, you'll laugh at this, I take my shoes off because I want it to be holy ground. Okay, so if you come in on a Friday, you see me walking around in my shoes. It's not that I forgot my shoes, it's just that I want to be reminded that this duty is holy work. And fasting might help with that. It's not a way to get what you want from God, it's a way to show contrition and humility before God. Listen, what do you want to do, a wedding or a funeral? That's really the way it comes down. And we are headed to a wedding. You know this. You've read the book. Revelation chapter 19. How incredible. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people or the righteousness that was given to them. Then the angel said to me, write this blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb and he added these are the true words of God have you been invited? yes, yes. did you make your reservation? Yes. I hope so I hope so you don't want to miss this this is a great celebration and it is our destiny as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ so it's a celebratory answer And then finally, there's a comprehensive illustration. And he tells two parables. (laughs) Barclay says so well, Jesus finds simple things as pathways and pointers to God. And it's so true. These are so simple. And yet as you meditate on them, they become so profound. They illustrate the radical change that Jesus was introducing to that generation. And the Change the transforming power of Jesus in the gospel is just as real today. So, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth—literally cloth that just came off the womb, uh, the loom. <laughs> no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment; otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. So as you're trying to repair the old, uh, that tattered garment, aged, that's why it's old, because it's aged, and it's been worn a lot. It needs to be repaired, but if you take new cloth and put it on there, especially when it gets wet, it's going to pull away, and the fresh new cloth is going to be ruined, and the clothing is going to be ruined, and it's just a worse tear. Everything's ruined. Now, likewise, a similar parable. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. They didn't make it in bottles. They put it in leather wineskins. And when the leather was new, it was pliable. But when it was old, it's brittle. Kind of like me. Anyway. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, we understand this quite easily, you know, because that new wine is fermenting and it causes gases and and the new skins can handle it, but the old ones can't. And if you pour it into the old, oh my goodness, it just bursts and you lose everything. So in both cases, you, you take something that is useful and serviceable, but it's ruined because of the newness. Now, I don't know how many of you have read the devotional... My utmost for his highest. Have you ever read that? Okay, so the gentleman that wrote this, Oswald Chambers, was a chaplain in the army and died in Egypt because he had appendicitis and they didn't get him to the doctor soon enough. That's how it happened. His wife, Biddy, had recorded and had let many of his manuscripts from his teaching. She's the one that wrote the books. If we had never had Biddy, we wouldn't have had the books. Well, he says something about this, and I just wanted to take a moment. We're kind of on a bit of a rabbit trail, but we won't be there long. On September 30th, he speaks about how God prepares us to serve by making us broken bread and poured out wine. He went on to say, yet God can never make us into wine if we object to the fingers he chooses to use to crush us. It is God who chooses the people and circumstances to crush us, and it is up to us to let him. This crushing is the classroom in which God will prepare us to serve him. Now, he said some other things. To be a holy person means that the elements of our natural life experience the very presence of God as they are providentially broken in his service. We have to be placed into God and brought into agreement with him before we can be broken bread in his hands. Stay right with God and let him do as he likes. And you will find that he is producing the kind of bread and wine that will benefit his other children. When we are consciously aware of being used as broken bread and poured out wine, we have yet another level to reach. A level where all awareness of ourselves and what God is doing through us is completely eliminated. A saint is never consciously a saint. A saint is consciously dependent on God. That's Eduardo. We saw it. We experienced it. My, the poor man never greeted me with a sour look. It was always a smile. And as was said at his service, he always felt like you were the most important person he saw that day. And this is what can happen in our lives. So, what are the lessons that the parables are going to teach us about change? Really, I think that's what it comes down to, and, and, it, and it, it is helpful. The first lesson is this syncretism never works. Syncretism is trying to take a little of Baal and a little of Jehovah and put it together. Now you hear a lot of this today. Oh, there's truth in every religion. Mm. There is one who said, I'm the truth. There is some truth in religions, but there is one who said, I am the truth. And it was so new. It was so radical. It's like that new patch or that new wine. And, and in Galatian region, when Paul wrote to them, he, he was so concerned about stuff like this because there were people we call Judaizers who came in and said, oh no, you've got to be a Jew before you can become a Christian. You've got to go through all the rituals. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to go through all this before you can be a Christian. And Paul's saying, uh-uh. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's not good news. Evidently, some people are throwing you in confusion and are trying to pervert, twist the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's pretty strong, isn't it? As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that which you accepted, let them be under God's curse. You can't take the old and put in the new and try to blend it together. This is brand new. It's totally new. The old has become obsolete. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. By calling this covenant new, same word, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. I'm so glad we don't have to offer little lambs when we worship. Why? Because the once for all offering was made for us. Amen? By the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says in chapter 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, because the priestly sacrificial work was complete. He said, it is finished. It's finished. There's no more of those sacrifices required. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice... He has made perfect, has made perfect, has, in the past tense, made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hallelujah. See, so syncretism doesn't work. It never will work. And let's stand in the gospel transformation. Gospel transformation must stand alone. Let's rejoice in that. Let's not become distracted. Let's understand it is new wine. It is like a new patch. Jesus, John the Baptist said, would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. You you can't take the Holy Spirit and try to mix it with all the rituals, particularly the rituals of the Pharisees, and think it's going to work. It doesn't. It's not going to work. But Jesus, in his last sermon before he went to the cross, emphasized the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the comforter, uh, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts... Be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Yes, you cannot mix and so stand in the truth of the Holy Spirit living in you. Believe it. You say, well, I don't feel it. Well, I don't always feel it either. My family knows I don't always feel it. But he's present. Rely on him. Open the word of God and ask the spirit to teach you. Pray your way through each and every day. Live in the transforming power of the gospel. That's, that's what he's trying to say here. And finally, keep. Oh, there's another verse. I See, I cut it short. Oh, well. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me, and that was being put on the cross. Come now, let us leave. That's when they left the upper room. All right, keep an adventurous attitude. Keep an adventurous attitude. You have every reason in this new gospel to know that you've got a bright future. You can be optimistic. You can can say, oh, I know God's got something for me today. I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living today. His grace and mercy are following me. They're pursuing me. I'm going to see it. I'm going to experience it. I want to live in the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. It's metamorphosized, changed from the inside, and it will be seen in the outside by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hallelujah. A friend of mine got a letter. And it was signed yours at 83 and still growing. I'm not 83 yet. I'm close. Anyway, keep growing. Keep enjoying the gospel. You don't need another gospel. You've heard it in Christ and it's real. And it's like new wine. New wine. Drink it up. Drink it full. problem is we like the old. And see, that was the problem that he was facing, wasn't he? They liked the old because they were used to it, they were comfortable with it, and he was bringing something new. Keep an attitude of of adventure as you walk with Christ and celebrate the newness of our gospel. Dear Father, thank you for bringing us together in the name of Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day. Thank you, Lord, for all we've experienced thus far. And now, as we conclude our service in remembering what Jesus did at the cross, oh, Father, by your Holy Spirit, meet with us, feed us, nourish us, Lord. And Lord, as the ushers are coming forward, we commit and pray over this bread that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us at the cross. He gave his life for us. And we thank you, Lord, that this bread symbolizes that. We thank you, Lord, for this cup and ask you to bless it to us as it represents his blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Truly, all our sins are cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. This we confess as we take this bread and this cup this morning together. Bless it to us. Nourish us spiritually. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.